Hello, and welcome to the Attributive Security Podcast, where we discuss and share ideas around perennial, topical, and emerging information security issues. Keep listening for tips and strategies to both protect and enable what matters most to your stakeholders. My name is Martin, and today I'm joined by regular co-host Maurice and our guest Chris Blunt. Together we'll be discussing Zero Trust, what it is and why, more than ever, it might be a useful paradigm for your organisation to adopt. Maurice, before we get started, maybe you could introduce Chris. Yes, of course. Uh, when Chris showed up at COSEC around six or seven years ago, his first time there, um, it quickly became clear that Chris's approach is, I mean, he's not shy of sharing his ideas and his opinions, something close to as we Dutch people tend to do. He was seated in the front row there at every session in the SAPSA stream, and it was fun to have him there, and it was insightful to see how Chris actually approaches the business challenges by using SAPSA in such a way that the business understands what they're doing. So it's a delight actually to have him here on the call tonight and to discuss the zero trust topic with him. Back in episode one, we talked about trust and mentioned zero trust in passing. Now we've got Chris here joining us. I think it's a good opportunity to talk about that in a bit more depth and and hopefully cut through some of the hype. So Chris, do you want to start us off by giving a brief overview of what you think the key concepts and components are in a in a zero trust network? Um, yeah, sure. I, I guess the key concept of um, zero trust from my perspective is around trust but verify rather than implicit trust in what you've owned and built in your own environments or what you've purchased from vendors in the cloud. The key components really depends on what aspects of zero trust we're talking about. Um, but the most commonly talked about aspects at this point in time are really around um, zero trust network access. So how do you allow access to your resources within your network or within your cloud environments to be secure whilst preventing unauthorized access? So the key components there are gonna be identity and strong authentication of end users. Authorization, so what those users are allowed to access based on their roles and potentially responsibilities within your organization. And validating or verifying, if necessary, what device they're on and its current state. So those are the key components. So it really is quite broad when you get into the meets and meat of it though because then once you're into the dart centers or the cloud environments then you're looking at the the key components being like um, endpoint to endpoint authentication and authorization um, which is a far broader topic than uh, most people ever get into it's probably a good point to stop and uh, chat through some of what i've just said i think it's something that is hard to define simply sort of defies a simple definition and there's a lot of components and a lot of technologies and components that pre-existed the the invention of the the zero trust concept and they're just being used maybe in a in a different way i think one of the one of the big things around it is certainly automation the automation allows you to configure your network uh, dynamically so that you can enable those those point-to-point connections as as you discussed rather than having a very static based firewall based setup yeah um i think it, i think it's also around without saying i think zero trust is a is a misnomer because you're trusting in components and you're you're building trust um, but you're not trusting specifically in the network sense something just because of where it sits on the network yeah um, but it's actually taking that away from a binary yes you're on the network so you're trusted no you're not on the network you're not trusted to 
something that's more risk-based and score-based. Score so the whole zero-trust concept, I mean, how much does it differ from what we did before this um, snake oil word was invented? I, I don't think it does too much different for most people. Well, certainly from a network access point of view. With, as uh, Martin alluded to, the um, use of technologies that existed prior to this, you know, so our um, SSL VPNs or VPN technologies have always existed. It's just that they've been extended now to include um, conditional access or trust component or trust engine, which may be um, directly in the product or it may be supported by mobile device management compliance product. But I think what you're saying is absolutely true, Maurice. The whole thing around snake oil terms is our industry's um, bread and butter, right? We reinvent the wheel all the time using the same stuff to sell to different people using different words and languages. And I think in this case, we, we really are um, pretty much doing the same thing. Where it differs, I think, is the underlying concept is we're moving away from trusting until we verify. Whereas before, um, you know, we trust based purely on identity for remote access, whereas we're now looking at the concept of um, being able to make risk based decisions on where the user is accessing from so are they today in let's say uh, northern ireland uh, and tomorrow they switch to the netherlands uh, and there's like a standard pattern of behavior we'd expect to see with the user so it, it is a little different on one level but i, I think you're right it, the shift here is understanding how to create those rules to make those decisions and uh, implementing them effectively so that you don't prevent users that have a legitimate access claim with a strong identity being authenticated on a device that's been issued and is compliant with your rule base being prevented from being able to access the services that they should be able to access yeah so indeed because uh, we're talking about zero trust and then you hear terms like uh, zero trust network etc but trust is as we've discussed in the previous episode it's a relationship between humans so the zero trust network again comes down to identifying the the business behind that network yeah isn't it just another term for attributes based access control i think you're right yeah i think from the zero trust network access model most definitely i think the key here in um, anything with the term zero trust network as a starting point is that the network no longer forms part of the security model so um, if i'm coming from a, a corporate network as martin said earlier um, i'm not given access because i'm purely on the corporate network i'm my access is derived based on the fact that I'm on a device that meets the um, set of policies that I'm I'm being assessed against and the user on the device or the user claiming the identity is being able to um, validate their identity using a strong authentication mechanism. So that, that's the real key here. It's, it's uh, the network really doesn't form any part of the security model in any of the zero trust models. Uh, so if we go to the pure network model, like within the data center as an example as well, then what we see is the network within the data center is in all the traffic crossing that network is encrypted, but it's not encrypted by the, the network devices themselves. It's encrypted by the applications and or the um, operating system stacks within uh, and platforms running within those networks to protect the information from anyone that could be on the network. And, and that's a big shift uh, and, and incredibly complex to implement it for a lot of people because they haven't designed their systems or services from scratch to be able to do that, which is why most people are focusing on the zero trust network access rather than zero trust as an entire concept. Yeah, indeed, yeah. You said you're taking the network out of the security model. Mm. So if I've got a you, you said data center. I've got a data center network, and let's say I've got network access control in my network. Is is it not valid within a, a zero trust paradigm to at least 
attribute some trust that I've managed to authenticate to the underlying network? Well, it, I think it comes down to um, what trust can you place in the NAC? It, it depends what method of NAC you're employing, right? Um, certificates is a little bit more yeah. robust than, say, a MAC address. Uh, but again it all comes down to the management of your keys um in that model as well and i think reality comes that introduces as much complexity as designing systems to protect the information that they are transmitting themselves one of the things that we are going to see is a shift away from networks being complex Uh, networks will be treated like they're simple uh, mechanisms for uh, allowing applications and platforms to be able to transmit um, information backwards and forwards and, and of use, but they won't form part of the the actual mechanism of protecting the information directly. The the things like firewalls and um, segmentation will still be valid um, because they still give us um, smaller attack services for um, the platforms that sit within those zones and um, protect them from application um, attacks on protocols that don't need to be running or exposed, if that makes sense. Well, that makes sense. The network is indeed a sort of just the transport, just right, the transport layer, uh, and shouldn't be concerned about the trust issues that you can have on the application That's because right. it shouldn't solve those trust issues. Well, it can't solve of them. Of course, the compl- indeed, right? Uh, but the complexity, of course, comes in play when on the network level itself, there's also a functional element and an aspect. There's an administrator there. There is services there. right? That, so that is a, a sort of a, a threat service that needs to be taken into account there too. But that is just for the network, not so much for the, the functionality of that application on itself. Mm. I think we have to look back at um, how... Th- how we've solved problems in the past as um, as an industry, so uh, information security, cybersecurity, whatever we want to call it, um, you know, our, we te- we tend to default to um, looking at the um, the easy ways to solve a problem, not necessarily the right ways to solve a problem. So if we go back to um, the sort of 90s when um, the internet was becoming a a more commercial construct than the, the, the previous um, versions of it. And we look at uh, the, the rise of the firewall, the internet-based firewalls. That was solving a problem that the operating systems that were running within the different data centers um, had too many ports exposed um, and could be attacked on a, a wide range of um, fronts. So it narrowed it down to a defined set of ports. Now, that was a perfectly valid approach at that time and on the face of it a reasonable approach Um, but what we're looking at now is that um, with the exception of um, front ends that that point at like millions of end users within data centers itself that approach is, is, is virtually needless we can we can build services so that they're not running or exposing ports um, and we can also validate between the the um, web layer to the application layer um, and encrypt all the traffic between them. And we can do the same between the application layer and the database layer to, to protect the, there as well. But it's, it's an interesting conversation to have with the people that are responsible for those technologies generally. Because um, what I found when I have zero trust conversations is... The network people absolutely believe that they are the the security team within most organizations. And for a huge part of history, they have been. But that may not be the case now as more and more of our applications aren't run within our data centers. They're not run within networks within our control, right? So those models aren't valid any longer. Yeah, that's a very, very valid point that the, the whole nature of the applications we're developing, the software architectures we're, we're 
developing are so different. Mm. Back in the in the nineties, I think you said the firewall kind of made sense because to a large extent you did have that perimeter and you didn't have okay, you did have host firewalls, but you didn't have the management to be able to manage yeah. those things. Yeah. You couldn't manage a firewall on every device. Uh, yeah. Now we've got a lot more automation. We've also got a lot more power on those endpoints so you can actually do yeah. encryption point to point because you can actually you know you've actually got the computer so this is the thing right is um what you just said there is exactly the point i was coming to you know um this is where your automation and orchestration is really important because that, that enables you to um, push out this the device like the server within the server farm with the same configuration on it known good state time after time after time after time with the correct configuration of the um the firewalls etc on it with no problems at all so it takes some of that um artisan approach that we've had in the past where we've had to hand roll everything and then if we have to hand roll 30 servers and we get to the end of it and all 30 of them have been configured slightly differently depending on our mood our interruptions where we were in the process etc um, so we don't really know what it looks like the real challenge comes down to is people's changing mindsets to the way that they need to work in a zero trust environment so you're right your server administrators have to be anyone managing infrastructure in fact has to be um, in an infrastructure as code world because otherwise it's almost impossible to manage. Being able to encrypt data between the um, the endpoints, whichever part of the stack that they're in, is really important as well. And uh, so the the massive drop in cost um, of computing um, that comes along with cloud computing enables us to do that. However, there is still resistance based on how we how we currently do stuff, based on how we have previously decided to do stuff, right? So if we take load balancing as an example, right? Load balancing, one of the things that it gave us was the ability to offload SSL TLS traffic from the front end and then use clear protocols to speak to the servers on the back end so that they didn't have the burden on them and they, it was quicker and you know the response was still timely for the end users without having to spend a fortune on computing power. And similarly, we then overloaded the network with all of these other technologies like um, network-based intrusion detection, um, network-based DLP and the like, which means if we're going to start encrypting all of our traffic in dart centers, then we're going to lose that visibility so having conversations about visibility is is where it becomes really complex, right? It's like, well, you're actually lowering the security by breaking that communication cycle from being encrypted. Well, you're, you're lowering the, the security in terms of confidentiality, integrity of that data because you've decrypted it and it's clear text on, the, on yeah. that, that device and it could do something. But as you say, you're preventing some of those other controls that, that people have been relying upon. Yeah. So it's a... But, I think, I mean, we could expand this out into a much wider conversation. Uh, you know, in my opinion, and this goes back to um, Maurice's uh, comment on snake oil, going, you know, <laughs> we've had this conversation in the past many occasions. But, you know, uh, our entire industry is built on uh, somebody's having an idea and they've built a product and then they've convinced the world to buy that product based on some marketing language, right? And most of that marketing language is predicated on fear without looking at the opportunities that are being taken or prevented by the technology, you know, and without getting into um, specific areas. What happens is we we, build, we then see um, adoption of those technologies based on recommendations by industry experts being compared to other products in the market. But what we don't see is any proper robust testing of those products slash services 
to see whether or not they are actually more effective than doing nothing. They they could they could even be worse well, than they, doing they, nothing. Every 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 device you put in your network is increasing your attack surface in in some. Yeah, cases. exactly. And this is something that um, I have a lot of conversations about, particularly with encryption. Right, um, the minute we encrypt anything, uh, we've introduced new risks. Um, but you never see anyone model those risks. You know, it, it's it's an interesting uh, area of topic for information security professionals it definitely is because it's also very hard to basically come up with a new solution for a problem and then to test it thoroughly without having a real life scenario which you only have if you put it into production of course you can you can have your models and say let's presume that a hacker would 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 do this so you run a pen test but the pen test needs to be conducted in a day because the product is to be sold tomorrow but a real hacker has weeks months yeah (laughs) To figure out what is wrong with your application, yeah. Um, yeah. years even. <laughs> so anyway, going back to zero. Yeah. <laughs> Nicely trying to get us back on topic there. I <laughs> <laughs> so I was actually thinking about the uh, uh, it, we were shifting uh, right in the beginning. We were the network was basically Internet Protocol IP. Uh, that's why we have we put the security. That's we relied on the trust created there which we couldn't it's the analogy there is we sort of said nobody is supposed to know who is going from a to b and so we said to the highway make sure that that this doesn't happen well you could actually make sure that the cars that the windows of the cars uh, don't show who's in the car so then you don't know who's using the highway instead of leaving it to the highway itself right yeah putting it where where the money is putting it where the actual problem is yeah but the people could just wear a mask Nowadays, well, yeah. everyone should be wearing one nowadays. <laughs> you know, yeah, you can, you, you can put it down. I've spoken about this before. We started out with it's actually more than time sharing systems, and and the security was in the system, and then we moved to security in the network, and maybe we're we're just on on the verge of moving into security being more more data. Well, I, I I think that that's that's the that's the key here is that um we're we're still at a point where the um. The controls are too far away from the from the um, protecting the crown jewels, if you like. We, we've got our data wrapped in our in our system or in our applications, and then our applications within our platforms, and then our platforms within our operating systems, and then it's within the network. And um, you know, we're gradually moving towards the center there of um, of the pile, which is the the data or the information. And the key the key really is to get to um, information that can protect itself. But you know, that's a lofty goal for any security professional, let alone people like us that. Are generally required to architect solutions based on what's available today yeah but i do think that it is a good target to set for ourselves and for everybody there is to like you said that information should be able to protect itself uh, on the basis of the requirements coming from the owner of that information yeah right Uh, and it's not just cia it's any type of property that needs to be fulfilled yeah but I think I think we're moving in that direction, and there is there is some inertia, there is some resistance to that. We're moving away from discrete components in the network that are responsible for our security posture. We're moving towards systems, platforms, and a lot of that is requiring the automation we were talking yeah. about. That's the only so, way to sensibly do it. I, so you know, I thought- we talked about zero trust in terms of you know you've got some ABAC, you've got some risk based authentication, you've got all this stuff that we're already doing. And I think there's a parallel there with something like software defined networking, where you have these networking guys who knew what they had in their rack and they knew how they'd wired it up. 
and then it's just I can't get my head around what this thing's doing and I don't trust it. And once you get over that, trusting the automation, I guess you got the same with container orchestration. What does my running system actually look like? And people are still in that mindset of I want to be able to visualize what my what my network looks this like. This is the thing. We're moving away from um, systems that are designed to be um, physical um, systems to ones that are um, uh, effectively conceptual in nature, right? Yeah. You are absolutely correct. And, uh, you know, I think we've discussed this already. Um, we are shifting towards um, the platforms and the applications being centric to the, the security. But we're also starting to see some technology shifts towards the data being able to protect itself at least from a confidentiality perspective so how i'm, I'm listening to you guys but uh, i was wondering it all sounds anybody listening to this it all sounds in the engine room right we're yeah. in the machine room here yeah uh what, what does zero trust do for the business zero trust enables so my experience and opinion Zero trust, let's split it down. Zero trust network access enables a business to have confidence that whoever's accessed in their application is who they claim to be. And they are on a device that will protect the information that they're able to access once they've authenticated. And, you know, and that's, that's a step away from the traditional model, which is you've authenticated to me. And therefore, I'm going to give you open slather to access whatever you need to. And um, I don't really care about the device you're on. You know, what I care about is what network you're on, which is kind of a weird concept because the information doesn't stay on the network. Of course, it goes onto the device and then the devices, particularly in this day and age, are normally laptops, could be your phone, could be an iPad or tablet, you know, and, and they walk out your door anyway. So... Um, the the, the, the yeah. real shift here is is a shift away from that network being important. It's a shift to, to the user authentication being critical and the end user device security being critical with absolute surety and that the information as it travels and traverses that network is protected from any underlying attack. That's a quite a great place to get to if we can ever get there. But as Martin says and has said throughout this um, this edition, it relies heavily on moving towards automation and orchestration of the environments that we're building. I think that we're still seeing fundamental resistance to that as a concept, not not within the business because it's down in the engine room, as you say, but down in the engine room because people work in specific ways and they like the way they work. And this is a big change and people aren't fundamentally ready for change. So from the business, it's about having a blueprint for want of a better word, for um, better security within the information systems and services from the very concept through to the implementation and operation of those services. And I think that is a should be a compelling reason to look at moving towards the um, zero trust model, but also towards the orchestration and, and automation of the business processes that enable um, systems to be built and operated. I don't think we're there yet, but looking at the you know, the business drivers for, for Zero Trust, I think there is the potential at least that you can get a lot better visibility from outside of the technical teams of what your rules are. Oh, yeah. You know, I think these rules are, are a lot easier to digest. They're a higher level for the business to actually be able to understand than I'm going to allow data from this port to this port, you know, yeah. on UDP and this port and TCP and... How do you understand that? Yeah, I, I think I think when you're talking to the business, you you, you always have, and I think we're we're all well aware of this from our um, experiences and um, backgrounds. 
uh, when we talk to the business, it, we, we have to talk to them in their language. It's critical. Um, talking to them in techie language really doesn't help. So being able to extract it away from particularly rules, particularly when we're talking about context-based rules uh, and the like, and, and turning them into uh, user stories or use cases, whichever term you prefer, is critical because you, you extract from the, the, the details of the, and it's on this port and you, it's more like the user can't do this if they're on not on this device and it's not this time of day and it's not this or if they can do this because or, or, yeah, yeah. or even if they're on this sort of device then we need to gain more trust so we need yeah. a higher level of authentication yeah we're yeah. going to start putting in yeah more authentication yeah and that's a really good point as well because um you know that, that step up stuff is uh, like is is key is like what do you do when you have a context authentication and authorization um that ends up with a a risk score which is just outside your bounds it's like do you refuse the access and log it do you allow the access log it and alert on it or do you step up to a different challenge and ask the user to do something different to validate themselves or verify them beyond what they already have i mean all of this stuff is possible right it's just uh, you have to make business choices these are things that traditionally we technologists have a habit of imposing on the on the organization because we know best. Whereas um, when it comes to defining these things effectively, I think we have to sit down and explain the options in plain English to the business and allow them to make some decisions. Well, that was actually sort of my next question there. How do you come up with the rules? Who sets those rules that uh, that this user in, in the UK on Sunday 5 p.m. is okay to connect? but not at 6 p.m. from Denmark. Yeah, that has to be a business decision. Um, so it means that um, the projects that are running to implement Zero Trust Network Access really need to have true business stakeholders involved in the conversation about what, what to do and what not to do. That was certainly my experience, um, imposing uh, rule bases onto users that were able to... Because you you are literally taking stuff away from the end users in some instances, right, when you have open slaver access and you suddenly start putting um, zero trust network access around them and you say, right, you can access these applications, but you can't access those applications based on the fact that it's now outside of business hours. For, as an example, right. I, go, well, I, could, I had it yesterday. So you, you need somebody in that conversation that is the true stakeholder that can then go back to those people and say, I made the decision that you would not have this access because it's not it's not us as architects or us as um, engineers, security engineers, jobs to make those decisions. In my opinion, you know, the, the business has to be along from the ride. Otherwise, they're gonna they're gonna heavily resist change that they weren't involved in making decisions on. And you make a very good point there. The end user again needs to come along on the journey. The end user is used to. I've got access to this or I don't have access to this. Not the, I've accessed during these hours, but not those hours and not if I'm over there, but I am if I'm over yeah. here. I guess that's going to require a lot more transparency around what the rules yeah. are. Because you've got, you've, you've got to set expectations to the user, otherwise you're just going to have a, a bunch of disgruntled users on you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you say, you say transparency to the user, but it comes from the owner of the information, which sits in the user base. I don't think that 
the the architect or the network administrator should explain to the user uh, yesterday you had access, but now you don't because we've changed something. This this must come yeah. from the business because they say this is now a risk profile doing business from Denmark at six p.m. as I as I just gave as an example. It's in our risk assessment. It turned out that that is too scary, so we don't yeah. allow this anymore. Yeah. Period. I think one thing I've seen is people moving away from the you can only taking a a business process and saying these are the requirements for doing the business process you must be in the uk you must be during office hours you must be authenticated to a level etc 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 and i mean you mentioned earlier chris the the sort of score-based approach and you just end up with well actually you, you just need a score above 50 yeah for whatever 50 is and it's just like okay fine you can do it from denmark but you're going to need to do jump through some extra hoops. You know, maybe you can't do it on your own device. You can only do it on a corporate device to get that score up. Yeah. Or maybe you do have to do a second factor authentication to get your score up. Yeah. I mean, what the project that I worked on, um, we we actually made the decision in in consultation with the business that um, all users would um, do uh, multi-factor or one-time password authentication for whether they were on the network or they were at home or wherever and the reason for that was consistency you know so th- there are decisions that may be made that are outside the the bounds of uh, pure ri- risk-based decisions but it might the approach that we took there was literally around the users asking questions about why do i get different experiences and having to um, constantly field the the questions around that so by having the same experience, no matter what, um, we actually reduced the number of questions that were received because we were able to set out, you will now be authenticated in this manner. This is to ensure that you are um, strongly identified when you access services, whether you're on or off the network. You can just bet that if you've got a, a rule that's, that says, if you haven't logged in for three weeks or you haven't done this, whatever, whatever it is, you're, you're in a different country. That'll be the one time you don't have your hardware token that you need. It's just like, well, I've I haven't used it in the last three months. I've yeah, I didn't bring it with me, or I've left. I, I can't remember which yeah, drawer I put it in. Chris, what you're saying is is interesting, actually. So because so the zero trust and uh, the attributes based access. So when you're in the building, the company, you, you username and password is fine. When you're working remote. Uh, we have a two-factor authentication. When you're working remotely in another country, we have multi-factor authentication with additional elements. And the user says, why do I have different experiences here? And then you say, you know what? We give you all the same experience, which then becomes the most strict. Uh, not necessarily. Um, so if I go back to the example I was talking about, which is a real-world example, the, the reason that that ended up being the case is because there were no services in the dart center that were directly connected to the organization all of the services were out in the cloud so like the office in effect was just a connection to the internet in the same way as your home network was a connection to the internet right um so yep. so uh that that was the decision um there um and it took some explaining that like nothing is actually it was a greenfield site and you know i was lucky enough that it was a greenfield site and um, to be able to do it to, to, to be able to do that, but it, it, <laughs> Don't that, get many of those. it did, didn't mean that it did mean that I didn't have to unpick anything that was previously existed, which was nice. But uh, you know, the, there were a couple of services that were 
increased risk services, uh, which had that extra step up. So if you were on the network in the office versus your network at home, it, it was always a one-time password. If it was, if it was outside of that and it, there were specific services, then it had to be on a corporate device that had a certificate-based authentication uh, trigger on it as well. Um, so that was a step up to certain services. Um, yeah, I mean, I think when you're designing any of these things, you've got to think about the 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 impact of the end users and what it actually means for them to uh, experiences. And this is why going back to that testing uh, comment earlier, you know, you, you really have to test both the positive and the negative use cases thoroughly to find out what the um, the impact is on the end user, what the experience will be for them when those things trigger or don't trigger properly so that you can document that and you can start um, including it in some education material for them. But I, th- I think on the whole, I think zero trust network access is a step in the right direction, whether you're pure cloud, hybrid, or um, still on-premise. I, I think that particularly in the world of as it stands today, where we're all working at home for obvious reasons, it, it certainly reduces the burden on the end user to have to know where it is they're going and what it is they're trying to they're do. And it still means that you can protect your services and the information held within them more than you could otherwise do using traditional approaches to remote access, in my opinion. So next question in terms of the business view of this. So if I if I implement zero trust, I can get rid of my VPNs, right? Um, your VPNs are just... On the client end. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it depends. And I, I, I don't think I don't think we're there. I think I, I think we're still using. I think in a lot of cases, you're looking at some services migrating to zero trust over time. Yeah. Um. But if you're in a, if you're in the airport lounge or you're in the coffee shop, and you're using a public service, I think I think you potentially still want that because you don't you don't trust our network. Um, I don't trust any network, so <laughs> I think the the idea that you can trust a network is is ludicrous. Um, and, and really, that's what zero trust is about: is that the network forms no part of your security model, right? It, you don't you don't trust the network; it's just a transport mechanism. The internet is an untrusted network inherently, right? So if you're using the internet to yeah. transfer any data, it's it should be treated as untrusted. You should not trust it. Okay, and, and and the same should be treat, said of anything in your data center. It's like you do not know once you've built an off that what necessarily state it is unless you're going checking it to the nth degree on a daily basis. And so I, I think that you are right. Um, the, the the VPNs still exist um, largely within the zero trust model because most of the technologies that are out there that. Um, zero trust uh, technologies access engines or whatever are vpn engines that have been morphed into zero trust network access um, tools just as um, casbys are um, effectively network proxies that have been morphed into protecting internet services right technologists of uh, or technology companies invest heavily in in producing these tools and they want to still maximize their return on investment. So they, they morph them into serving a purpose or repurposing them rather so that they can continue to, well, largely sell their products. But that doesn't mean that that's a bad th- inherently bad thing, right? For those services, going back to the VPNs of old, we had full tunnels. So every, everything from your machine went down the tunnel. And when we had split tunnel, and that was the stuff to these these 
networks that I'm going to define goes down the tunnel. Everything else just goes straight out on the yeah. untrusted network. Yeah. And I think rec more recently you're seeing the, the reverse of that, which is traffic to these networks, and that might be you know Google, for example, can go out on the wire because I know what they're doing. Everything else goes down the tunnel. Yeah. So you've kind of flipped that around. And I think even with the with the zero trust model, so, there are systems you control and systems you don't control. Yeah. So, so how does that? So, but this is the thing: is you control access to those systems nowadays. Um, so, the, like, without having a big discussion about cloud services, or like, we have to accept that our control over cloud services, particularly if we're talking SaaS, is, is basically down to our identity and access management, right? So yep. something like a zero trust environment, which may or may not be built on a um, specific set of controllers within your network where you would direct traffic down to and then out to the cloud services is one model. Um, another model is that you build your identity and access management services and your MDM services in the cloud or based on cloud stacks such as Microsoft Azure and Intune. And then you use them to authorize access to the applications that you're you're using outside of your control there are so many different ways of doing this we could we could talk for hours on this subject alone the dog legging that you're talking about at the start of that question is is basically dying you know nobody is sending all of their traffic down their tunnels any longer um because well, they can't with everyone working from home right no um it, it just doesn't well we don't have the capacity yeah, nothing scales right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so i i think that um yeah that, that's basically a dead way of doing it although um you know some some people will still continue to want to do that because they see it as a more effective way of managing um the security of their traffic but the reality is it, it, it probably isn't. It's probably just a way of slowing their traffic down or creating um, huge volumes of traffic entering the data center and exiting it again at great cost to them. I think uh, the reality is if you're directing um, traffic into your data center, you should be um, looking to restrict it to the traffic that you need to send into your data center. Everything else should be allowed to um, connect to where it needs to go. Um, and I'm not saying that should be direct. I mean, uh, without getting into specific um, vendors, etc., there are a number of vendors that run the sort of point of presence model where you actually hit their point of presence in the cloud. And it, you'll have one in London, say, if you're in the UK. And uh, it, internet traffic goes straight out to the internet. Traffic to cloud services is proxied from there. And traffic to that needs to be directed to your data center drops off into a um, access point within your data center that that's 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 the um that's the other model that we're seeing and i think it's a it's a pretty good one yeah i guess i'm just saying that there's the traditional let's say way of thinking about things in the mindset and how much of that do we need to dismantle to to get to zero trust yeah I think, uh, I think re in reality, you're not going to do the, the big bang of being where you are with a VPN and some cloud services that are maybe rooted via your data center to zero trust in, in uh, one no, big bang. I, I, I can, and how, how do you I actually get people around the conceptual changes they need to make? Yeah, I think um, the key here is... Um, just because we've done something uh, one way for the last 30 years doesn't make it the right way to solve the problem, right? 
Um, and what we're seeing here is a, is, is a shift in thinking, but it's a very slow shift in thinking. So just because I feel that zero trust is an answer doesn't necessarily mean that everyone that I speak to does. In fact, I, I've received some, uh, some pretty strong resistance to it. Where do you see the resistance coming from? Um, largely from the technologists, the, the, the people that are responsible for managing networks and uh, the platforms that sit on those networks because it requires them to think about whether or not they need to re-architect themselves. If we're going down the path of um, zero trust network architecture, whether that be network access or the, uh, the, the full-blown micro-segmentation of the data centre, everything authenticates what's talking to it, uh, before they're allowed to talk to it, et cetera, et cetera. And you have an existing environment, you have to take a step back and you have to look at where you want to win, for wh- what you can do and what approach you want to take to it, right? Um, and th- and I think as we've discussed tonight, there, there are several different ways of, of doing both those things. So it's like, um, what's the best bang for buck for your environment to do that? And um, what will take the most people with you to to make it a success as well is, an, is another consideration. But really, what's the end goals of the organisation? What's the objective in doing those things? Um, I think that most people will gain from on the on the broader topic of micro segmentation and zero trust from this perspective. Um, I don't trust the network uh, viewpoint. I think that we'll see that increases more and more as an accepted model as more and more people move into cloud services like um, Amazon and, and stop using their own data centers um, because they can't trust the network because the network really doesn't exist for them, right? It's just a set of um, software running on hardware, extracted layer um, running on hardware rather. You know, so the, the, there is no real network there. It's, it's a set of um, software decisions being made. And so I think we will see growing acceptance in that space uh, and we will see people um, learning to architect zero trust into um, their environments more and more because of it we also already see this shift right how many people nowadays know how to how tcp ip works <laughs> well there's a handful of people and i suspect that, um, there's three of them on this call but um, yeah. <laughs> but, um yeah <laughs> it's an interesting thing you're, you're right what we had to learn when we were coming up um in the industry versus what you have to learn nowadays is completely different. And I'm not saying I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing. I'm just saying it's a thing, right? Um, people not knowing how TCP/IP works um, it, it is fine. Um, nowadays, it's point and click; it just works. All they have to know is it's a transport mechanism. But you can't trust something if you don't explicitly understand how it operates, right? So, so. What we should be seeing is that as more and more um, new faces um, join the industry, the acceptance of the old way of um, building stuff, of trust in the network, and particularly as we use more and more cloud technologies, should diminish. This idea that the network can be trusted should just die. It has to. It has to, but you, yeah. you've got a lot of entrenched yeah. views, is what, is what you're saying. Pre- you know, and things will change slowly as you've got to, you've got to sell it at various tiers within within the business you've got to sell it to technology people you've got to sell it to the business process people you've got to sell it to the financial people absolutely it's it's a sizable investment the rewards of doing certain things like zero trust network architecture um the organizations that i dealt with um before coronavirus that were going down the the path of um, network access then they they reap the benefits because they'd already they were already in a model where users could work from anywhere without an impact i think that um, traditional Roma access worked to a point for that 
but it certainly didn't come without problems and problem scaling for a lot of organisations. No, there were a lot of organisations, I think, that made certain services available to the internet where they weren't previously because they didn't have the bandwidth to do everything down Yeah, it's an interesting choice though, right? Because um, that was a choice where it was um, uh, availability was key. It was it outweighed the um, the traditional problem of um, confidentiality being key um, for them. Yeah. Um, so they decided that it was more important that their users could access than it was that their systems were um, confidential or protected the confidentiality in information in the systems was um, protected the level of confidentiality protection was yeah, yeah, down exactly to, to dial up the availability yeah and, and that's a valid choice it's absolutely a valid choice yeah absolutely all right with that being said i think it's time to come to an end here thank you for listening we hope you found it interesting. While many of the components of a zero trust network architecture are not new, the combination of concepts and the tooling does offer something beyond snake oil. Cloud adoption and network virtualization have abstracted the network away from physical appliances and cables and limited our capability to control, manage and build trust. It's time to break away from models of old that are predicated on trusted networks. In information security, it is always useful to have a beginner's mindset and a growth mindset. Please join us in the Attributive Security Podcast LinkedIn group if you'd like to discuss this topic further. Let us know how you've been able to adopt Zero Trust principles and what the hurdles were in your environment. If you have the time, we'd appreciate a review or rating and welcome feedback on what you like and what we could add or do differently. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay safe out there.